Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this podcast where we talk about how you can structure your fund to gain more UK taxable investors by uh, allowing them to take advantage of a more tax-efficient investment regime, particularly useful at the moment because it's actually just before the mini-budget financial statement comes out from Jeremy Hunt. And we are all agog waiting to see what he will do with capital gains tax, one of many taxes. So to build on from that, again, thank you for joining. My name is Claire Cummings. I'm managing partner of Cummings Pepperdy, a law firm specialising really in tax and compliance for the fund and crypto industries. And I would like to introduce you to my co-presenter here from Larkstoke Advisors. Priya, tell us all about you and all about Larkstoke. Thanks, Claire. It's great to be here today talking to you on this podcast. My name is Priya Mukherjee, and I'm a partner at Larkstoke Advisors, uh, which is a boutique professional services firm focusing on providing tax advisory services to asset managers. So, so reporting fund status is one of the key service lines that we focus on in our business, and it's about it takes up about a third of our business. So we're sort of key specialist area for us advising funds and fund managers on UK reporting fund status. And there are also other sort of other areas, tax areas and accounting areas you advise on, which, you know, maybe we can we can do sort of more of these, these podcasts and conversations to teach our listeners um, at other times. But for now, we're Absolutely. going to talk about yeah how to invest in a fund with tax efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that is the reporting status, isn't it? So yep. maybe we could we could just sort of start off, and you could talk about the issues that you need to to deal with within a fund. So whether it's a new fund or a new share class, and I could quickly talk about how legally that's done. Yep. Okay. So I think just very broadly speaking, where there is a UK individual investor investing in an offshore fund or a non-UK fund, they can be taxed in one of two ways. So they can either be subject to income tax on when they realize uh, their gains, at, which is at 45% at the minute. And the other way they can be taxed is at the 20% capital gains tax rate. Now, which rate applies to them depends on whether or not they have elected to be within the reporting regime in the UK. So the reporting fund regime is an optional regime. So essentially, what the regime does is taxes the uh, UK investors on any income arising in the fund on an annual basis, but any capital that arises to them at the end when they redeem their investment that is subject to capital gains tax at 20%. So that really is significantly advantageous, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, a 25% differential who's, you know, what's not to like about that? I think just one thing to pick up on is it's it's noting that this applies to to a fund which has created a share class and then makes the correct application. So, I mean, something we commonly do when we're setting up funds is with with with, with our clients is start off asking where your clients are, where your investors are and what your investors will want. Because if you have got UK taxpaying investors, then this is something really to consider straight away. Because as a UK taxpayer, if you can choose between paying 20% or 45%, then you know even if performance is down, frankly, it can still make a huge difference, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when investors are investing, I think, I think a, 
a fund which does not have reporting fund status will have to significantly outperform a fund that does. So uh, there's, a, there's a huge margin there for them to choose that. And I think one other point to note is HMRC uh, publish a list of successful applicants uh, for the UK reporting fund status. So it includes about, as of now, uh, when I last checked, it was about 95,000 odd funds on there. And it's updated on a monthly basis that includes funds that have UK reporting fund status. So it is a good screening mechanism for investors yeah, who are looking to invest in offshore funds. So they can go on there and have a look at whether or not the fund does have reporting fund status and and and, and choose accordingly equally investment managers when they're marketing their funds to UK individual investors. They use that as a, as a tool uh, also to include in their prospectus, but also to send them to that link to see, look, our, our fund has it, reporting fund yeah. status and therefore we've got the the tax regime yes this is what you get yeah and and so it's building on from that it doesn't have to be the whole fund which complies that it doesn't have to be the whole fund which sort of offers this the way it's done is that the position at law is that a, a any class of shares has to offer its investors the same terms so obviously if you have class of shares which is only going to be investable by uk taxpayers and it will provide a lower return on taxes. Obviously, the fund needs to create a share class for those. And this is done very simply on the setup of a fund. The share class will be referred to in the offering memorandum, and it will be dealt with corporately at all those stages of the fund. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important as well to note as when, you know, when you're structuring that even if you don't have those investors to start off with, the way that we always structure a fund is to allow the, the director's to create new share classes at any time. Yes. Which means it's a very easy one to apply. So if you know, if you if you don't want to go to the UK to the UK taxable investors immediately for num- any number of reasons and of course going to UK taxable investors is very linked with uh the UK AIFMD and the requirements in there if you know if you know if you're not going to have any other UK investors. So it's something that I think it's worth pointing out that those who aren't certain can always, you know, as long as the, the offering memorandum is crafted cor- correctly and also the articles, can set it up later, can't they? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, so application can be made for for the as you said for the share class itself. So it's not a fund wide application for so for reporting fund status purposes. Each individual share class is treated as if it were a no it were its own fund. So when when we do send out the application to HMRC, it would be on a share class level, and that share class would only have UK investors investing in the share class. And it could also equally well uh, be operating series reporting. So where there's se- several series yes. uh, within a share class. So so but the the, the application is at a share class level and as you say as long as the offering documents have been drafted correctly we can always apply as and when the share class is launched and the share class opens up to UK investors so it doesn't have to be at inception it's as the fund grows and they open up a new share class to UK investors we can always apply then as well. Start with it grow with it whatever yeah and I think it's interesting what you're saying just then about um, about series because it also whether you have a share class with reporting fund states or not makes no difference to the way that you structure your fees. You can either have equalization or you can have series and you can apply whatever fee, whatever fees you decide are right for, you know, for your market, for your investor base. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about whether or not every fund can qualify or whether they have to meet certain conditions? I think this goes to the heart of it being about 
the the, uh, the heart of the investment strategy of the fund and whether what the fund is doing is investing or trading and that i think that can be quite a finely calibrated issue can't it Yes, yes, absolutely. I think you've got it spot on. So it's not it's not a regime that's beneficial to every single fund, irrespective of strategy. So one does need to consider what type of strategy the fund is undertaking. Like you said, typically, a fund that has an investing strategy for UK tax purposes. And this sort of goes back to the badges of trade and case law and looking at sort of holding periods and so on. So Typically, a fund that has an investing strategy over a trading strategy, and this is purely for UK tax purposes, they are considered sort of the typical fund for obtaining the the reporting fund status. So just to give you an example, if you have a fund that is, say, a quant trade over the very high frequency trading strategy, UK reporting fund status will not be beneficial for them purely because the way the reporting fund status calculations work. So we'll come to that in a minute. So you need to submit certain annual calculations to HMRC where you sort of calculate your excess reportable income. Those calculations, the way they work, if you have a trading strategy, you'll end up paying a lot of income tax on your excess reportable income uh, for the investor, which will not make reporting yeah, so fund status worthwhile. Yeah so, yeah, so it's definitely something to to sort of Depend. think about before getting in. Yeah. Yeah. But something like, say, for example, I thought if we talked about something like um, long short equity, commodity, macro credit, those are the things, those are the types of strategy which are more likely to both be deemed acceptable by the revenue and also to be beneficial to the shareholders. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so those are the sort of strategies that we typically see within. And, and I think if one looks at the list of HMRC funds as well, that's a good sort of touch point is to look at various strategies that are on there to see so yeah. all, all the type of strategies that are acceptable. But yeah, the, the ones you mentioned are exactly the ones that are typically beneficial for reporting fund status. Right. So tell me about what happens next. We talked a bit about the reporting that you have to make to 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 the revenue. But could we start with how you go about talking to the revenue to see if somebody is eligible or not what's the information that you need what do, what do you ask investors to give you so so just going back on that a bit so so the the engagement typically is it's the investment manager who elects rather than the investor to apply for the regime so it is the uk typically uk they could be offshore as well so it is the investment advisor or investment manager who makes the decision to uh, apply for reporting fund status and uh, the application process is fairly straightforward we send hmrc the prospectus of the fund or the offering memorandum along with an application form which is uh, sort of got technical questions along the lines of what elections to make for reporting fund status what how how the fund is going to calculate its reportable income any elections to make so but without going into too much technical detail without that sort of the application form covers a lot of information on the fund and then we send that off with that has a signature of the investment manager on it and then we say this is uh, you know we're making this application along with the offering documentation send it off to HMRC and HMRC are fairly good with sort of turnaround in terms of timing we uh, as of now I, I think sorry Claire no, sorry, no, I think you're about to ask my question, which is, yeah. what, what is the timing like? And do they ever come back with any further questions? Or is it a straight yes or no? How, how does that work? It's, it's, it's typically a straight yes or no. I've uh, not heard 
back, I, th- I think in my sort of 10, 15 years of, of doing reporting fund status, we've not heard back from HMRC because I, th- I think we do all of that legwork before we apply for a fund. So yeah, we have so a conversation with the that. manager and we yeah. make sure that it's it's the correct strategy. And then we've got all our ducks in a row before before we make the application. So we make the application and HMRC use, usually come back saying your application has been successful and we've included you within the uh, list of reporting funds. And then sort of we go back and tell the manager you're now on the list of reporting funds and then they can go and, and, and tell the investors. And then what happens after that? So reporting fund status has been granted. Um, the, the manager goes out and mar- goes out and markets, always in compliance with FCA rules, UK AI, FMD, financial promotions and so on. Mm-hmm. They get to the end of their first year's trading. What what happens then? What happens at that point? So, so, so then once they've had their first year end, and uh, sorry, I, d- I didn't mention this when I was talking about the application. There, are, there are very strict sort of deadlines in terms of when you apply. So, you need to apply for reporting fund status before the first year end of the fund or three months from when any interest has been issued in the fund. So where interest has been issued in the fund in the last three months of year end, you have a slightly extended deadline. So three months from when you've launched that particular share class. So, So once you've done that, you're in the regime, you've had your first year end, then uh, you need to comply year on year with the reporting fund requirements. What those requirements are is that you must provide a a certain pack of information to HMRC and do certain reporting to your investors within six months of year end. So say a fund has a 31 December year end by 30 June the following year, you need to submit to HMRC the following. So your audited financial statements, your excess reportable income calculation, which I'll come to in a minute, and your report to participants or report to your investors stating whether or not you have any excess reportable income, even where this is nil. And then you need to provide a declaration form signed by the investment manager uh, saying that you've complied with the requirements. And the shareholders that you report to, are they all shareholders or are they just the shareholders of the share class which to, to which the reporting regime applies? Correct. It's the latter. So it's only the shareholders of those specific share classes to whom the reporting yeah, regime so applies. So there's an element of privacy for UK taxpayers. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's no, nothing sort of, you know, there's, there's uh, it's, 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 you know, we, we can prepare that in a way that it goes to in- investors separately for each share class on a share class by share class basis. So you're not sort of cross-sharing information across share classes. And uh, it can be emailed or, or put up on the website, but there's nothing too contentious on there anyway. Okay. And you were going to talk to us a bit more about how you calculate the the excess reportable income, the ERI. Yes, yes. So more about that, because I think that's going to be, you know, very useful for people to listen to. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. I think I think that sort of forms the, the 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 key piece of financial calculation that goes into the reporting fund status uh, annual compliance calculations. So essentially, what your excess reportable income calculation does is it takes all your revenue income and then takes away all your revenue expenditure from that, and then whatever you're left with. 
and and most expenses are deductible for these purposes, including your management fee. Or the only exception is performance fee, which is not deductible. And then you come up with a number, which is your reportable income, which then you deduct any dividends that you might have paid. And then the number you get at the end is your excess reportable income. And that is reported back per unit to the shareholders who then have to pay income tax annually on that income arising in the fund. And any capital that arises to the fund is stripped out and sort of they're taxed on that at the end of the life of the fund. Now, because there's all the revenue... That's really important, isn't it? it? Yeah, the income tax will be there, but you don't... Because I think under the old regime, you used to have to pay tax as well every year. But here, it's really important. You only pay capital gains when you... When you redeem, you crystallize your investment. Yes, yes. And and then because of the way the excess reportable income calculation works, it is often the case that because of all your deductible expenses, if you've got low levels of income, high levels of expenses, often your excess reportable income will be nil or very low. So it is very unlikely that you will be paying income tax year on year on those in any case. But even if it is nil, you need to report that to your investors as, as part of the compliance obligations. Yeah. So in essence, what we're saying is that if you have the right type of fund, so one that mm-hmm. trades, just doesn't sort of buy, hold and invest, or, and if you have a fund where this makes sense, so not a frequently trading, high frequency trading type fund, mm-hmm. then you can go to um, your UK taxable investor base and say, invest with us you're unlikely to pay any tax during the year. It's going to be reported, i.e. the income tax. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the life of the fund, or the end of your investment in the fund, rather, you can take it out and the tax you pay will be 20%, not 45 That's a huge quarter, 25% differential. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and and just to bear in mind, if you do have excess reportable income, then you would be subject to income tax year on year. But that's likely to be uh, fairly low if you've got the right type of strategy anyway. Right. Well, I have to say it all sounds extremely compelling. I'm a UK taxpayer. Where do I sign up? Um, <laughs> I think, that, you know, probably this podcast is, is going to be available after we've had the Jeremy Hunt, Rishi Sunak um, budget on the 17th. So, yep. you know, there'll probably be something to come back on. So as we approach so December and Christmas at the, at, at, at the moment, perhaps uh, Priya, we could do another short podcast at the beginning of next year. We could revisit it and then um, maybe invite our, our listeners to maybe come and see us sort of one night in Mayfair, just pop in, have a quick drink, pick our brains and um, see if we can help people further in the new year. Yeah, I, I think that that sounds uh, that that sounds great. I think I think given given we've got an upcoming autumn statement uh, later on this week, I think it's definitely worth yeah. doing uh, sort of a, a part two just to revisit some of those points and see where whether any of those taxes get get affected. And and uh, yeah, it'll be great to sort of t- touch point with the people who'd like to hear more about it in person over a drink in in the yeah. new year. Have have a drink, get some specialized advice about your situation, come and see us. And in the meantime, we we you know, we've also done a publication on this, which is out, it's on our website, it's on our LinkedIn pages. So um we're giving our listeners sort of some I think some fairly juicy initial info. We'll we'll come back come back again beginning of twenty twenty three and hopefully we'll start meeting people in person after that as well. Yeah. Sounds great.
Priya, it's an absolute pleasure. Let's just give our website so that people can find us if they want to. So Cummings Pepperdine is very simply cummingspepperdine.com. Uh, Priya, how about Larkstoke? Um, yeah, Larkstoke Advisors is larkstoke-advisors.com. They're both very simple. Thank you very much, Priya, for joining me today. Thank you very much for our listeners. And we hope very much to see you all in person soon. Yes. Thank you, thank, thank you Claire. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.